What's up, guys? This is Kaylin Taylor, and you're listening to episode eight of the Listen to Me Speak podcast. Welcome back. I hope you guys enjoyed the last episode, and I hope you enjoy what I have in store for you guys this week because I'm going to keep it real. My notes are 10 pages, so I have a lot of content to get through. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. I spent about a week gathering my thoughts. So hopefully um, it was well worth the amount of time I put in and you guys enjoy it as much as I did writing it at least. So let's get right into it. We're going to start the episode off on a little bit of a somber note. Um, I wanted to talk about Amber Riley performing a song for Naya Rivera on Jimmy Kimmel, which was last Thursday night. And the song she performed was an original called A Moment. And I have to say, I really commend Amber for her strength during that performance because she kept it together and her vocals didn't waver one bit. Meanwhile, I started sobbing 10 seconds in, especially when they started showing pictures of Naya as a kid and pictures of her son and pictures of her with her siblings and her family. I don't think there was a better person to perform this tribute for Naya than Amber because despite her own grief, she was able to still get on the stage and sing her heart out completely. I'm going to continue to keep Naya's family and friends in my prayers as they continue to grieve during this really hard time. Uh, Amber, she's now going by a stage name, Riley, her last name. She uh, announced that her release, she renounced her release date for her new EP, which is self-titled, and it'll be coming out October 2nd. Today, she also announced that after the overwhelming amount of love shown to the song, that it would be dropping on Friday. I was hoping she'd release it after the performance, so I'm happy that she's going to release it before her EP drops, and I'll be streaming it and supporting it for sure. I've been waiting for Amber to drop original music, period, so I'm super excited that she's finally deciding to release it, and I'll definitely be supporting the EP as well once it drops. You know, Amber's got an incredible voice, and I agree with something Kevin McHale had said, uh, I think last year where he just said that, you know, Naya and Amber are just so incredibly talented. He's just not understanding why they haven't put out multiple albums. And I agree they, well, for Naya, I have to say had, I guess now, but Naya had such an incredible voice and Amber has such an incredible voice. It's just a shame that they never, well, it's a shame that Naya never really got to put out original albums just because I think she outsings a lot of the current singers today and I'm happy that Amber's finally releasing an EP because I've been waiting for this since she was still on Glee. I think she's got an incredible voice. She's also another one who I feel like outsings most of these singers under the table and I just can't wait to hear what Amber sounds like instead of just hearing her do a bunch of covers. She killed those covers, don't get me wrong, but it's going to be incredible to finally hear what she sounds like, you know, as an as her own artist for once. So, I'm looking forward to Riley making her debut. Um, In more sad news, um, last Friday, Chadwick Boseman's family confirmed on Friday night that he passed away after a long battle with colon cancer. I believe it was four years. And I'm not going to lie, this was devastating to read, and my heart broke yet again for what feels like the thousandth time this year. It made me even more sad when I realized that he was acting in Black Panther in various Marvel movies and 21 Bridges, um, all while being really sick. It just really shows how selfless he was and how much these movies and roles meant to him and even how much his fans meant to him as well. I will always be grateful for Black Panther and Chadwick's portrayal of T'Challa because he inspired so many black youth, 
Black Panther is and always will be an important movie to the black community because it finally gave us the representation we had been fighting for for so long. You know, if you haven't seen Black Panther, I mean, come on, what's wrong with you? But seriously, if you haven't seen it, if you even watch the movie for 10 minutes, you just see how uh, enriched enriched in black culture this movie was. Our morals, our values, it was just a black film. The whole cast was black, the director was black, like everything about Black Panther was black. So when it came out in 2018, even if you weren't a huge Marvel fan like I was, I wasn't a huge Marvel fan until this movie, you know, but I went and saw it because, you know, I try to support my people in any way that I can. And as soon as I knew this movie was being made and that it was going to be a black cast and just a black crew, I just knew I had to watch it. And my dad and I were so excited to go see it. He saw the movie in theaters twice and then we watched it maybe a couple of more times after it had been out on demanding DVD. We really, really loved this movie. And I remember how proud and excited I was when this movie came out and how in awe I was of all the black talent I was just witnessing and to know that Chadwick did all of this while being in what I imagine incredible pain just breaks my heart. But he did what he loved and he died doing what he loved and um, you will, Chadwick, you will never ever be forgotten and will always be missed. Rest in power, King. And I'm keeping his family in my thoughts and prayers. I don't care how corny it sounds, Wakanda forever, for real. So moving on to less somber topics, the 2020 VMAs came on Monday, came on on Monday. And to be very honest, just being blunt, it was a dud to me. I couldn't even sit through the whole show. In my defense, though, I did work uh, a morning shift at my job, so I was already exhausted, but the show was still boring. I'm going to keep it real. Um, Kiki Palmer was the host, and though she was a good host, even she couldn't save the show for me. But if we're being honest, award shows haven't been good in years, particularly the VMAs, which used to be known as one of the more iconic award shows. And shooting them from home makes it even worse. The only good performances of the night were The Weeknd, Lady Gaga and Ariana Grande, and Chloe and Halle, who technically they performed the pre-show. Chloe and Halle have had some of the best, the best actually, let's keep it real, they've had the best quarantine performances, so I think it's kind of a slap in the face that they didn't get to perform on the main stage, but whatever. I also think it's a slap in the face that Kehlani wasn't nominated for Best Quarantine Music Video, considering Kehlani had the best at-home music videos. You know, Kehlani and her team remained humble and thanked fans for going up for them after being snubbed um, a nomination and said that they were just grateful that so many people loved the videos and thought of them. I'll let them remain humble and say this for them on their behalf. Not really on their behalf, but you know what I mean. But, you know, VMAs, you know, snubbing them was some bullshit because Kehlani and her team really did their homework and, and, Having a broadcasting degree, I can tell you, shooting video and editing, editing editing them together in a seamless fashion is very hard work, especially for someone who has no background in this whatsoever. But Kehlani and her team took time out of their day. She has a, a child under one, I, I believe. So she has a child under one. She's doing all of this herself along with her team. They're doing the research and homework, Googling how to, you know, make the software work, how to shoot certain angles, I'm sure. All that comes along with putting a video together and she did it and she did it in such a seamless way that yeah you can tell it's from home you can tell it's the but the budget for the video isn't as um 
what's the word for it it's not it doesn't look as high budget as it normally would have but it still looked pretty damn good especially for someone who's doing it all themselves so I definitely think Kehlani and her team deserved a nomination at least at least for um best quarantine music video but you know people who know what's up know what's the deal so congratulations to Kehlani and her team for putting together some of the best quarantine videos for sure um, moving on, most of the performances that I saw were lackluster and pretty much um, glorified music videos because a good majority of the performers were actually lip syncing. Newsflash, just because you're performing at home doesn't mean you get to be lazy, people. It's still a live performance. Even the baby, who's a rapper, was rapping along to a voice track, and that's a pet peeve of mine when rappers do this. It's almost worse when they do it because there's no need for them to lip sync. It just looks dumb and lazy, literally... The the skill in rapping is the writing. There is no skill in getting on stage and rapping along to the words. So what do you need a back? What do you need a voice track for? What do you need to lip sync for? You just look like an idiot. Um, Miley's performance wasn't bad other than the fact that she was also lip syncing. Um, this was the first time I heard her song Midnight Sky and I actually liked what I heard. I'm not going to lie. I think it's a good direction for Miley to be heading in music wise instead of trying to appropriate black music just keeping it real stick to what makes you you and midnight sky sounds like a mature miley so i think it's a good direction like i said the weekend had a good performance and sounded great but i do wish he sang another song from his album instead of blinding lights he always performs that song don't get me wrong it's a great song but he has um other great songs off of after hours that he could have chose like in your eyes or snow child those would have been good choices too and they're fan favorites Lady Gaga and Ariana's performance was cool, and Ari ate up that little dance routine that she had to do. She's definitely come a long way as a dancer, because trust me, I've been a fan of Ariana since practically the beginning, and I remember how she used to dance and do the uh, her choreo in the beginning of her career, and she's come a long way, definitely. Believe me when I say that. All in all, the VMAs were no different than they have been for the past few years, which means that they were boring and predictable. And I gotta say, I miss when award shows used to be good, y'all. I really do. Moving on from the VMAs, The Weeknd and Calvin Harris released a new collab last week. This was the song The Weeknd teased a snippet of during his TikTok virtual concert. It's called, I believe it's called Over Now. But now I have to double check that. Usually I have these song titles written down, but you know, just like I talk fast, I type fast as well. So let's check it out. Yeah, Over Now, it was correct, but you know, I got a fact check. So the song is called Over Now, and it's a very well-written song and sounds like it was inspired by music from the 80s. It just has a really solid groove line, which, um, which because it has a solid groove line, even though it's a breakup record, it also makes you want to dance. I loved it back when The Weeknd teased it, and I love it even more now that I've heard it in full. I also think that The Weeknd's falsettos are so heart-melting that you can't help but like I said, dance to it. If they ever give this song a remix, I can also hear Bruno Mars on the record since 80s and 90s music is kind of his aesthetic. If you listen to his 24K um, Magic album, you'll hear what I'm talking about. Calvin Harris is a great producer. His production has remained fresh over the years because he's very versatile. So he's one of those where if he ever hits a slump, it'll probably be like in 10 years. It's like every time he produces... Um, for uh, an artist, he's able to tailor it to that artist and his music tends not to sound like each other. 
I kind of wish this song was on The Weeknd's album, but it doesn't quite fit the theme of After Hours, so I understand why it wasn't. This song is more of, you know, Starboy Weekend because he kind of sounds like Michael Jackson. And I know there's that running joke that every time an artist now does a duet with Michael using old vocals, kind of like Drake did in 2018, they, they say, oh, it's probably The Weeknd doing his best MJ impression. But speaking of MJ, if he was still alive, I could hear him doing a song like this for sure. I think, I think the whole Starboy album could have been a Michael Jackson album if he was still alive. And if they ever decide to do a Michael Jackson movie the right way, if they need an artist to do the music for it, The Weeknd is definitely the guy. So moving on from The Weeknd, JoJo releases the deluxe version of her Good To Know album. Despite feeling like Good To Know was complete as it was with the original nine songs, I have to say that JoJo achieved what a deluxe version is supposed to do. Instead of it sounding like she went back into the studio and recorded six or seven filler songs to gain more streams, which is what a lot of artists are doing, especially this year, let's be real, the extra songs on this album complement the original nine songs perfectly. They stayed on theme. I also like the fact that not all of the new songs were at the tail end of the album like they usually are on deluxe versions. They were scattered throughout, which makes it seem more seamless to me. I also like the fact that rather than having both the original and remix of Lonely Hearts on the deluxe, she only had the remix. Uh, I, that's something that I didn't notice was kind of pointless until JoJo did it, where if especially if the if the remix is that mu- not that much different than the original, and you just like have a new artist on the song singing the same part you sang on the original, there's no point in keeping both versions of the song on the album, especially if I have the original already. So I think that was smart. Um, a collaboration, oh yeah, before I move on to that, I'm like running a mile a minute. Demi is featured on the remix of Lonely Hearts. Um, a collaboration between the two of them was a long time coming. I always heard JoJo's influence in both Demi's and Ariana Grande's vocal styles, and even a little in their music as well. So when JoJo announced that Demi would be featured on this record, I thought that she was the perfect choice because the song also sounds like a track Demi would do and so it sounds like a track that Demi has done in the past and that's why this collaboration didn't disappoint and I'm glad that it didn't. I do wish that Demi had an original verse on the song but when they both start singing together on the chorus I get chills and and it's really not that big of a deal anymore because they sound so good together. Um, I hope they both work together again because they have great chemistry and like I said this remix was really good. Jojo um, removed Tori Lanez's verse on the song Comeback. Um, obviously, she really, she removed his um, verse in light of the Megan Thee Stallion shooting. Um, the version with Tori is technically the remix, and on the and in, on the physical version of the album, Come, Comeback has just JoJo on it, which is the version that is now on the deluxe instead of Tori's version. The original to me is just as good as the remix, so I'm glad I can still listen to the record now that Tori isn't on the song anymore, and I don't have to feel guilty. Um, and I'm not going to hate just because I don't care for Tori now. His verse did add something to Comeback, but it wasn't so incredible that listening to the version that made it onto the Good to Know Deluxe is like lacking and underwhelming. Both versions of the song were good. The writing on this album overall is really exceptional. You know, I'm a sucker for two things, good production and good writing, and this album had both. JoJo has shown me how good of a writer she truly is with this album in particular. 
I already knew she could sing her ass off, but I really do appreciate her writing on here. She's really evolved, and if you know anything about JoJo's history and how she was locked down in that terrible, terrible um, record deal, I think, for seven or eight years where she was not able to release music at all, obviously, even though she's been through her own dark times with that, she came out a lot better on the other side, and she's a better artist for it, I think, and this album is a great example of that. One of my favorites on the deluxe is Kiss because it's just a good vibe and the production is super smooth. I personally can't wait to bump this in the car. I have to, This just reminded me that I have to add it to one of my playlists on Spotify. Another one of my favorite songs is Proud because it has such a strong and beautiful message. I'm, a, I'm assuming the song is about her mother and her mother actually speaks in the beginning of the track and the end of the track. And the song is also about how she appreciates everything that her mother has done for her as a child and as an adult, and how now that she's older, she fully understands and appreciates the things her mother went through to take care of her. I think we often don't appreciate our parents and what they've done for us until we're adults, and I know that I've personally become more grateful and sentimental at 22 than I was at 10 or 16, obviously. Um, my favorite line in this song is, people either love you or they won't. It doesn't really matter if they don't. I'm with you every second on this road in my heart. Because it reminds me of something my mom always told me as a child, which is that not everyone is going to like you and that's okay. Because at the end of the day, the people who matter are going are gonna to love you. Only you know who you are at the end of the day and that's all that matters. And I think this becomes easier to believe as you get older and because you know who you are and if you're a good person that's something you should be proud of and I think that if you have great parents like I have great parents that um they're gonna love you no matter what doesn't matter who doesn't love you who does love you you know the one thing that won't change is you know how your parents will always love you so I I really love this this message in the song because I'm close to both of my parents um the last song I want to talk about um on this album and another one of my favorites is Love Reggae which features Tanache. Tanache's verse and vocals are so fucking effortless and I pretty much fell in love with this song the second I heard the beat and her and her verse like instantly. Um, Love Reggae's beat obviously has reggae influence and Jojo doesn't sound out of place or sound like she's trying to force the beat or song to work for her. She also doesn't sound like she's appropriating you know certain artists which we don't have to get into will try to sing with an accent to try to sound like more of a fit on the record but Jojo doesn't do this here so it, it just sounds it's a good record um Tinashe was a great addition to this song and I hope that Jojo makes this one the next single I know summer's almost over I do wish the good to know deluxe came out a, a little bit earlier because this would have been a great record for the summer it's so good wrapping up my thoughts on this deluxe um Jojo put out not only a quality album back in May, but was able to complement it well with these extra songs. Um, they don't feel out of place, and I feel like they should have been on the original album, to be honest, because when she first announced that this album was only nine songs, I felt like it was too short. So I really am glad she put out a deluxe because it feels even more complete. If I already wasn't a fan of JoJo, this would have turned me into one. If you haven't heard her album, do yourselves a favor and listen to it. I promise you will not be disappointed. It's really, really good, y'all. I wouldn't steer you wrong. So moving on to another artist who released an album, we're going to talk about Jaden. Um, he released his CTV3 album, aka The Cool Tapes Volume 3. Um, and I'm so happy to say that this album was a much better body of work than both um, Iris and A Cool Tape Story. 
the production on this album was very unique and that's one of the reasons why um, I like this album. It doesn't sound like anything that's out. He worked with the same producers throughout the whole album which is why it sounds so consistent in its theme. And what I mean by that is that no song on this album sounds out of place. They all fit very well together. The main producers on this album are, I hope I don't screw up his name, Josiah Bell, Omar, and the Trippy Summer Band, who provided a lot of the funkadelic and alternative sounding production on this album. Since Trippy Summer is kind of uh, Jaden's brand, I'm assuming that this band consists of Jaden and other musicians on his Misfits label. Misfits is like a joint venture with Rock Nation as well, and it's uh, this album was under that joint deal as well. I read that Jaden has said that this album was inspired by the Beatles, and after reading that and listening to the album for a second time, it does make a whole lot of sense. The album is labeled as rap slash hip-hop on iTunes, but it's really not. Uh, sure, Jaden raps on some of the songs on this album, but he also sings a lot too. So I don't think it's really fair to label it just rap and the production shouldn't be labeled as such either. I'll admit that I was disappointed with the Justin Bieber collaboration, which is called Falling For You. I was really excited for this one because Jaden and Justin have great chemistry, but this song fell really short to me. Maybe it was because the production is way too campy for my tastes and the lyrics are kind of cheesy to me. Uh, they sound like something out of a 60s movies or something, if I'm being honest. But... I want to talk about some of my favorites on the album, which are Everything, Bad Connection, though it's way too short, Young in Love, and In the Hills. So what I love about Everything is the contrast of the bright bells with the dark sounds of the guitar and the bass. I also think Jaden floats over beats like these, especially because he sounds really poetic, and that's one thing I love about rap. I really love, I, I tend to, um... I tend to float more to rappers who are poetic. That's why I like J. Cole. That's why I like Tupac. And that's why I like Jaden as well. Um, what I loved about In the Hills is, again, the production. Jaden always has such good production. And I think he's the only one who can pull off rapping well on these kinds of beats. Because like I said, his beats are very unique and odd sounding. He doesn't sound like anything that's out. This song, In the Hills, um, sounds like it belongs in a movie to me. I also love how melancholy it sounds. That's also why I like Jaden's music, because it's always super melancholy, but in a way that works for him and only him. And it doesn't sound super, super depressing. The music's actually good. He does it well, and it hasn't gotten old to me yet. Um, he is. He did talk about this particular saga in his music ending, so maybe in the future his music will be happier. I guess we'll see. I also love Bad Connection because it picks up right where In the Hills left off and Jaden always has the best music transitions. On his debut album Sire, he had what he called B-L-U-E, which of course spells blue, and all of these songs transition into each other and they tell a full story and to this day it's one of the best intros to any album I've ever heard. Like I said, Bad Connection is way too short, but I love it nonetheless. A lot of my critique about this album, if I have to say, is that some of the really good songs are a little too short, and that's a common theme that I'm seeing in music these days. A lot of artists are leaning towards the two-minute uh, songs. Even Nas, who's been around since the 90s, his last album, King's Disease, he had a lot of two-minute songs, and sometimes you can't really get a full feel for a song in two minutes because as soon as you start to the song ends so I do kind of wish we get out of the habit of doing two minute songs at least make them three minutes long and 30 seconds at least 
Lastly, what I love about my final favorite on this album, which is called Young in Love, is how old school it sounds. I can hear the influence of Neo Soul in the production. I can hear an artist like Common on this beat, which I know I've said about one of Jaden's other songs on this album last episode, but it's true. I also love how, again, poetic Jaden sounds on this. He always manages to weave important messages into his verses. You have to really listen to them sometimes, but they are important. I think overall the standout on this whole album is the production. I think CTV3 is a breath of fresh air simply because it's so different than anything else that's out right now. I definitely think this album is a mood album, which means I'm only going to listen to it when I'm in a certain mood or simply just listening to it at night. Out of the 17 songs I liked about 14, I think this makes it a solid album. Um, I'm going to be listening to this album probably in the next... I'm going to continue listening to this album for the next few months, so I'm sure songs will grow on me. But I definitely think it is a mood album, so if I'm in a certain mood, I feel like this album will hit better than if I wasn't. So moving on from Jaden, there were some rumors floating around last week that Drake was going to drop his new album, Certified Lover Boy. I don't like that title. Every time I hear it, I, I don't like it any better than when he first announced the title, but whatever, we're sticking with it. He has a whole Nike rollout, so it's here to stay. Um, but there were rumors that he was going to drop it last Friday after he was spotted at the Nike headquarters in New York, but this proved to be just a rumor. The only reason I believe that there could have been some truth to this is because August 28th is the last Friday before the Grammy deadline, so it would make sense for Drake to want to drop CLB before then. I think if Drake had, hadn't dropped his Dark Lane uh, mixtape, then he would have made sure to make sure that CLB came out in August before the deadline but he's pretty much secured some Grammy noms with 2C Slide alone and off of the whole mixtape in general. So in this case, he might he might not care about the Grammys this time around. It's not like he won't eventually get a Grammy knob for Certified Lover Boy. it just won't be for 2021. A lot of fans feel like Drake doesn't care about the Grammys anymore at this point of his career, and that, and that might be true to an extent. However, don't get it twisted. Drake will always care about being nominated and winning to a degree, and Drake is the type of person who wants to still be involved in the conversation. That's why he does certain things that he does. That's why he did what he did with 2C Slide and connecting it to TikTok. He still cares about numbers. He still cares about the Grammys. Let's not be deluded in that. But he may not care as much as he did in like 2016, but he still cares. I agree with the theory though that Drake's album will probably drop September 18th because it's the last Friday before the end of the summer and he did technically say his album was coming in the summer of 2020. Either way, I'm excited to see what direction he goes in with this album and I won't be hounding him like I was with Big Sean because Drake drops every year. He has not been known to take longer than a year off between albums, so I can wait. Speaking of Big Sean, he's finally giving the people what he wanted with what we wanted, which is a proper album rollout. On Friday, he released a teaser video, the first of what's supposed to be three, of one of the songs off his upcoming album. The song is called Don Life and it features Lil Wayne. The song samples MJ's classic song, Human Nature, and the beat is fucking nuts. And Sean was rapping his ass off with an energy I've ha I haven't heard him have since DSP, which is Dark Sky Paradise. Um, Lil Wayne's verses tend to be hit or miss, so I'm hoping Wayne gave Big Sean a hard and seller verse for this record and doesn't ruin the song. I need him to bring the same vibe he had on Deep for Don Life. Um, obviously, the teaser didn't include Wayne's verse because then it wouldn't be a teaser, it'd be the full song. So hopefully Wayne um, 
delivers the way Sean did in his first verse. The visual for the teaser was beautifully shot and I'm kind of hoping he gives us a visual album because the shots in these were really, really dope. He just sounds like he found his passion for rap again and you can tell by how effortlessly he's spinning lines in this track. I think my favorite line in the teaser was, um, I think it's, and, and be easy because it's it's a teaser. The album hasn't come out yet, but I believe the line is, she liked chocolate, Nestle, brown, and sexy. Like, he was just flowing. It's fire. I already know that Down Life is going to be one of my favorites off of this album for sure. Um, this song was also teased in his album trailer in March, and it was one of my favorites then. But hearing a longer teaser for it has me, of course, hyped to hear the full song and also just the album in general. I love the nod to Dark Sky Paradise in the teaser with the black cloud with the black clouds and rolling thunder. Even though this is a follow-up to the first Detroit, I'm hoping this is also an indicator that he's gonna bring the energy and vibes he had on Dark Sky Paradise on D2. I think from what I've heard so far, a lot of the production seems to be a little bit darker like it was on Dark Sky Paradise. Um, so even though it's a nod to Detroit 2, I do hope that we get that dark production back because that's part of what made Dark Sky Paradise such a good album. A big reason he's my favorite rapper is that he treats his rhymes and bars almost like a puzzle. They're always perfectly placed and he knows just what to say and when to say it, which is important. Big Sean also dropped teasers for the first Detroit back in 2012 and one of the teasers was released on the same date as Don Like, so he's probably doing this intentionally. Yesterday, he also released a brand new song, a song that I've been waiting for since March, so it's been six months. It's titled Harder Than My Demons, which he teased. Like I said, I'm repeating myself. That's how excited I am. But yeah, you, you know what I mean. He, he teased everything in March and then left us hanging for six months. But when I heard this um, snippet, I loved it and thought he should have released it as the lead single, especially because he was making us wait so long for music. I'm like, this will hold me over at least for another few months. And I felt like it was such an undeniably good song that even outside of me and, and the the, and the super fans, peop, the general public was just going to eat it up. I thought it, it was just going to be a strong um, contender for a lead single. Mike will produce this record and the production is absolutely nuts, let me tell you. The sample they chose is crazy too and of course Sean Snap on the whole song but in particular the first verse like right out the gate it just grabs your attention and you know alright it's time to shut up and really listen to what he's saying because this is some real shit. And he only teased the first verse back in March so I already knew from the first verse that this was going to be an incredible song and of course I was right. On the hook, God got me working harder than my demons, and the line in his verse that goes, I done wiggled out the noose knot. They've been lying to me my whole life. I finally found the truth out. Like, they don't gotta love you if they need you. Got angels and demons on three-way, and they ain't coming to no agreement. Those lines spoke out to me the most, especially in these times that we're living in, because this year has been cursed with a lot of death, but I'm still living, and I feel like God has a reason for that. So no matter how dark my days get, God is working a whole lot harder to pull me through. And I feel like that's what Sean was trying to relay here. If you watch the music video for the song, you'll better understand the other lines, especially the noose line. Because as you know by now, black people have been getting killed due to our skin color for forever. And the visuals for this song um, depict the violence against black people. And it especially resonates after Jacob Blake, Breonna Taylor, George Floyd and many other innocent black lives have been taken. Um, I feel like this song came at the right time because it 
directly speaks to what so many of us are going through right now and that's why I appreciate the song and I just appreciate Sean as a rapper and like I said the moment I heard this record I just knew that I needed it and I knew that Detroit 2 was going to give me what I was looking for I think that even if I wasn't a fan of Big Sean after this album I certainly would be because sometimes with albums when, when they come out at a certain time or they're speaking to what you're going through in your real life you just build a special connection to it and I haven't felt like this since Dark Sky Paradise and Detroit 2 isn't even out yet. So I really do think it's going to be a great album. I think Big Sean is back and he's definitely here to stay. Now, um, I feel like when it comes to artists that I really, really love, I don't say, I feel like I don't say as much as I could be saying about how much I love the song. Like I really want to like get into like a super deep dive of Harder Than My Demons and about what I love about it. But I think it's just Big Sean is one of those artists and he makes the type of music where it's just, I need a lot of time to sit with it to, to properly articulate exactly what I feel. But when he drops his album this week and I record my episode for next week, I am going to be going into a deeper dive of the album and giving it a review. So maybe I'll be able to come up with more, um, I'll be able to articulate how I feel about the music a little bit more. I did want to say that I did pick up on... Justin Bieber's vocals at the end of Harder Than My Demons. I wasn't expecting him to be doing background on this song. I do know that there were photos of them that came out of them in the music studio, so I knew that they were working on something together. I just didn't really expect it to be for Sean's album. I do think that they recorded an actual song together, but I do think it's going to be on Justin Bieber's upcoming sixth album, which is rumored to be coming out this year. None, no one on his team or Justin Bieber himself have confirmed this, but he did admit earlier in the year that he already started working on his next album. And now in light of COVID and him not being able to tour, it gives him more time to work on music. So I'd be here for a Justin Bieber album. Uh, another one this year. Changes was good, but you know I know he's capable of better. And if Big Sean and Justin Bieber recorded a song together in that studio session, it's most likely for Justin Bieber's album because Justin Bieber, it doesn't make sense for him to be on Detroit too. It just doesn't. Um, the next thing I wasn't going to address, but this is why I have my podcast, because I can talk about whatever the fuck I want, and I can rant about the things that I want to rant about, because it's not like anybody in the room has to sit and listen to me, it's just whoever listens to this podcast, so I decided to talk about it. Um, a big part of an album rollout is doing interviews, and Big Sean has started doing them. One interviewer in particular decided to ask him about how he felt about I Don't Fuck With You in light of Naya Rivera's passing. Now, he started off this answer by saying that out of respect for her, he didn't want to talk about the song and he should have kept it at that. But instead, he decided to add that I Don't Fuck With You wasn't a diss record and it wasn't about her and that she, in fact, quote, liked the song, which annoyed the fuck out of me. I'm not going to lie because we all know that's some bullshit. First of all, the lyrics of that song are so blatantly about her. And if that wasn't enough, his love interest in the music video is a cheerleader, and Naya played a cheerleader on Glee. So was that supposed to be a coincidence? Please, come on. Secondly, Naya talked about how she really felt about that song in her book, which I have, and I recently reread after her passing. It's really worth reading, by the way. If you haven't read her book, I'll give you a brief summary about what she says. So first off... The song was originally recorded partly while they were still engaged, and she says she heard it in its beginning stages, it only had a verse and chorus at the time, and she liked it, keyword, at the time. 
and thought it had the potential to be a hit song. However, after they broke up, she says she begged Sean not to write any songs about her. And then the song came out a few months later and it was very obvious that it was about her. Sean had tried to deny it even back then as well, but had admitted after they broke up he changed some of the lyrics, which is obvious to me that he changed them after being inspired by their split. That's what artists do, whatever. Even if the lyrics aren't obvious, though, the I mean, even if the lyrics aren't obvious enough, the fact that he released the song after their very public breakup and after she married someone else is going to lead the public to sp- it's going to lead to the public to speculate on who the song is about, and they automatically are going to associate the song to Naya, so he knew what he was doing. I loved the song in 2014, despite being a huge fan of Naya's, because it was relatable, and there were a few people I didn't fuck with in my own life, so I did it. I probably dedicated that song to them in my head, so I'm not going to sit here and attack him for the song. But, don't try to rewrite history either by claiming that it wasn't a diss record or that Naya liked the song when there's a whole chapter in her book that says otherwise. Naya never sugarcoated how she felt about shit. That's part of the reason why I liked her and I was a fan. She was very honest about how she felt about that song when it came out. Yes, she poked fun at the record, but there's a difference in trying to take the power back from something that hurt and embarrassed you in the past and liking something. And in her book, Naya makes it clear that that breakup, and I'm sure that song was probably really embarrassing, it effectively ruined her image after it came out. She was labeled as crazy, and you can believe what you want to believe. But that was not a good moment for her in 2014. So for him to come out and say that she liked the song or that it wasn't a diss record when she said otherwise is just bullshit. I'm sure Sean and Naya had both moved on from the situation. But like I said, let's not try to rewrite the past. He wrote the song. It was very clear it was about her. So let's move on and keep it real. I think Sean have... I think Sean should have fielded the question and in the future he just shouldn't answer questions about her. Because now she's gone, unfortunately, and I think she deserves peace. The media never really gave her a break while she was still alive. So let's have some compassion for her family now that she's no longer here. That's all I'm going to say about that. One last thing about Big Sean, though. Um, His Hall of Fame album celebrated seven years last week. I have a lot of happy memories attached to this album, and this is when Big Sean became my favorite rapper. I played this album constantly in 2013 that I'm surprised I'm not sick of it now. I'm pretty sure if you go on my personal Twitter page and you look up random lyrics from this album, they're going to pop up under my tweets. That's all I was playing so much. I'm sure I drove my friends crazy so much that I know every lyric to every song on that album when I listen to it now. It's ridiculous. This album is uh, ranked lower on his discography by most fans, and compared to I Decided and Dark Sky Paradise, it is weaker. However, it definitely isn't a bad album at all. It's way better than Finally Famous and Double or Nothing. But also, because I have such good memories and feelings attached to this album, I'm probably a little biased, but I don't care. My personal favorite songs off of this album are Sierra Leone, Ashley, World to Blaze, Mona Lisa, and Beware. I originally was going to re-listen to this album on its anniversary, but I'm so busy between work and doing podcast stuff and then just trying to find time to myself to relax. I haven't had the time, but I'm definitely going to listen to the original Detroit before Detroit 2 drops. So that's all I got to say about Big Sean. I promise after the next episode, I'm cooling it. On Big Sean, I've talked about him enough. I promise you guys won't have to hear another thing about him for a while after next episode. So let's move on. Rush drops uh, another new single 
amongst his many slew of singles that he's been releasing this year. It's called Take You Back with Kehlani. And I'm going to be honest, I didn't realize how much I needed a Russ and Kalani collab until it was announced that they were going to drop one. They have a similar vibe in their music, so I'm not surprised that they ended up having good chemistry on the song. I think their voices and melodies fit super well together. I will say that the mix sounded a little lower muted, but I still love the song regardless, and the production aside from that was good and really pretty. Russ produces most of his own music himself, and he did a good job of cultivating a beat that fits both him and Kehlani's musical styles. Kehlani has a really pretty singing voice, and the production really complements her voice. The production is pretty simple with the guitar sticking out the most, and that tends to be a um, the main instrument in a lot of Russ's production. I don't know if he plays the guitar himself or if that's just something that he loves to use in his music, but that, that is something that I noticed. And I love the guitar, so I don't mind it. That's probably why I like a lot of his production. Speaking of Kehlani, she also has a new song with Disclosure and Sid titled Birthday. It's a really fun summer song. I feel like I've been saying that a lot lately, but it is the summer, so now's the time. I wish Disclosure had released the song a little bit earlier, though. Um, about Disclosure, I think they have a really quirky production style, and even though I can always tell when they produce the song because they have a distinct thumbprint when they produce, they somehow manage to specifically tailor their beats to different types of artists, like the song off Chloe and Halle's album, Ungodly Hour, I believe the song is Ungodly Hour as well. Disclosure produced that, and you can tell they produced it, but it works for them. I also really love Kaylani's verse on this song, and I don't know much about Sid other than the fact that she's a great writer. She wrote um, Coffee um, by Kelly Rowland. I don't know why I had that that um, that moment where I forgot who the song was by, but Sid wrote that song, and Coffee by Kelly is, Rowland is really good as well. Um, I think Sid has a beautiful and soothing voice, and I really love this track. I think that um, Kehlani and Sid really complement each other, but Kehlani, I find, is just one of those artists where she's not hard to have chemistry with just because she's such a good singer herself, and I think she emotes so well that there's not a lot of artists that she probably doesn't have chemistry with. Um, Katy Perry also releases a new album titled Smile. There was a lot of new music release this week. I saw someone on my DJ account tweet, um, that this was going to be an interesting week for podcasting and it definitely is because like I said, I got a lot to talk about, but Katy Perry released her new album. The album as a whole is pretty solid and the production is pretty good too, um, which was a critique that I've had, um, over the past few years about Katy Perry, the pr her production hasn't been all that great. But on this album, it is. The album really isn't my cup of tea per se, but that doesn't make it a bad album. It's just not for me. I've gotten better at um, being able to separate the two from each other. There are albums that I think have strong writing, good singing, good production, but the music's just not tailored for me. And then there are albums that are tailored for me and have all of those um, good qualities. And Smile is just one of those. Um, my favorites off of this album are Never Really Over, which came out last year, I believe, Harley's in Hawaii, which I slept on when it first came out, Tucked, and Not the End of the World. Harley's in Hawaii was co-written and co-produced by Charlie Puth, who's a singer if you don't know, and I can tell he um, produced and wrote on the song because I can hear his influence and I can hear his background vocals as well. This is also a good summer song because it has a subtle island vibe, which is like, if you want a good summer record, that's like the cheat code. 
in general, I mean, as a whole, it's just a bop, and I can tell I'm going to have this on repeat for sure. I already added it to my summer playlist. Never Really Over is a really strong and solid pop record, which I feel like Katie hasn't had in a while. She gets to flex her vocals on this song, and the song is just addictive, and it's not repetitive enough that it'll get annoying. You know, I think a lot of people, they want a catchy song. They do over-repetitive hooks and I feel like that's a cheat code to having a hit record but never really over as a solid pop record without having any of that. Tucked is another good pop song as well. I keep bringing this up because over the past few years I feel like Katie had been trying to experiment with different styles but it often felt forced and it didn't suit her well at all. Katie is a pop artist through and through. It's where she shines the most. That's where she should stay. So it was a relief that she delivered a solid pop album rather than trying to force herself into different styles like she did on her last album, Witness. Tucked makes me want to dance and the production sounds super fresh. It kind of reminds me of music from the 70s or 80s. If COVID hadn't ruined the summer, this song would slap at parties for sure. The production as a whole, like I said on this album, was really good. Um... As a whole, to wrap up my thoughts about this album, Katy Perry seemed to return back to herself. Um, and before I wrap this topic up, I did want to say congrats to Katy Perry on the birth of her daughter. I think she gave birth the same day her album came out, or the day before, one of the two. And if that doesn't show you how fucking superhuman women are, I don't know what does. Seriously. So, congratulations, Katy. Moving on from Katy, Expensive by Ty Dolla Sign ended up being a better song than I expected from the snippet. I know I ripped it apart last week, but you know, I'm mature enough to walk back my statements if I'm a little wrong. I think the song is catchy and it has a repetitive hook, which is the typical formula for a hit these days, like I said. And Nikki's verse is cool. However, what I said about Ty on last week's episode still stands, not about the song, but about him. He does need to start maturing in his music and he needs to start experimenting with new things because expensive sounds no different than his other music. It really doesn't. The Weeknd also celebrates an album anniversary. I feel like there were a lot of album anniversaries to celebrate last week. Um, This time for The Weeknd, it's his Beauty Behind the Madness album, and it's celebrating five years. This album has grown on me a lot more since it dropped. My favorites are Often, The Hills, Tell Your Friends, and Shameless. I feel like, for me... It didn't take until 26 it took until 2016 for me to really grow on the weekend as an artist and 2016 kind of marked his shift of trying new things. I'm really really not a huge fan of alternative R&B. Some of it has grown on me, but as a whole, I'm more of a traditional type of fan and the weekend was really doing a lot of alternative R&B in the beginning of his career and I really couldn't get into it. I liked a couple of songs here and there, but as a whole, I really couldn't get into it that much. Um, And when he started to evolve into a mainstream artist and he started doing different things, like with Starboy, I became a bigger fan because um, he started making more traditional types of R&B. And you can still hear some alternative R&B in his music, especially in After Hours, but I think that he's evolved so much that he's doing it in different ways. So After Hours, to me, I can enjoy more than I would have enjoyed his earlier um, works and I know to OG Weekend fans they want to cringe hearing me say that but it's true a lot of them knock Starboy but I think it's his best album moving on to Monica and Brandy they faced off in the latest versus battle yesterday and if you grew up on R&B music shout out to my mom for blessing me with great taste in music she played a lot of it for me growing up um, but if you're like me or you're like my mom then you know how important this versus battle was 
even though Brandy got on my nerves, um, it was great to see them in the same room again, especially because it was for the first time in eight years, according to them. I think it's great that they put their past issues aside and were able to give their fans an incredible moment of celebrating their classic music. I, of course, was Team Monica. I personally thought she won, but I do think this was one of the best versus battles I've ever watched because they were literally neck and neck with each other. No one swept up the other. Um, and that just goes to show how incredible their discographies are and how they stand the test of time. The Boy Is Mine will always be the greatest duet of all time to me. The harmonies and melodies, Brandy and Monica's voices together, period, are just beautiful. I personally don't think Brandy has a song better than Angel of Mine or Before You Walk Out of My Life, but that's just me though. For me, that's one of the many reasons Monica won. I, I was getting annoyed when it took Monica forever to play Angel of Mine, but I know a lot of fans were really looking forward to hearing that and that could be one of the reasons it took her so long to play it because I believe she played it against Have You Ever and that's a classic Brandy record, so... I understand her saving the best for last, but there were certain songs that she played against classic Brandy records where I had to give Brandy the point and I couldn't understand why Monica didn't choose better songs from her albums against those because it's not like Monica doesn't have songs that could compete with those, like that Drop the Beat song. That song was ass, I'm sorry. Um, I think she played it against Sitting Up in My Room. Why would you play that against Sitting Up in My Room? That was like a, that was a Brandy's debut single. It's a classic. Why would you play that trash against that? So Monica was pissing me off sometimes because I'm like, you can really get, dig in your bag. You really can. And you just gave Brandy the point, whatever. But all in all, all that, you know, petty fun shit aside, um, what was really important was the culture. And, um, I'm glad that despite some of the little tense moments, I am glad that they were able to put all of that side and get together. All in all, it was a great thing to witness and a great moment for music. My mom had a my mom and I had a great time and we sung our hearts out. We literally I literally closed my door because one of us was lagging behind the other and so I didn't want the live to spoil anything for either of us. So I had my AirPods in and she was chilling in her room listening, but we had a really really great time. Though it's very clear that Monica and Brandy have come a long way since their beef, I do think there's probably some stuff that they still have to work out because there were a lot of moments in that live where things got a little awkward and a little tense. I just think that they're two very different people and they're probably just the type where they're just not meant to be friends. That happens in life. There's just certain people you can't gel well with. Um, I do think Brandy was Nisa Bump pump her brakes a little bit. She was talking about doing a tour and they need their own TV show. Girl, y'all need to work out some of the kinks y'all still have before you can get to doing a tour because a tour is very stressful. I've heard a lot of artists talk about how stressful it is and how it's caused certain artists mental breaks down because mental, I don't know what I just said. It's caused them mental breakdowns because of how, um, stressful it is and how much effort and energy you have to put into these tours and a lot of drama actually happens on these tours as well I'm not sure someone like Brandy and Monica can really tour together so let's pump the brakes a little bit on that I do want to hear another duet from them because they're two for two the boy is mine is a classic and their other song and I'm blanking right now on what it's called oh yeah it all belongs to me that's a good song too. It's not talked about as much because compared to The Boy Is Mine, obviously it does not hold a candle, but it is a good song. They have good chemistry on records together. So I don't think Monica's album is fully completed yet. I think it's called Chapter 38. 
So if they want to get together and do another song, I'm here for that. Let's take baby steps, give us a new song. And uh, Monaco's playing some new songs off of her upcoming album. And Brandy was saying that she'd be down to do some melodies and some backgrounds for some of the songs. So why don't we get another duet going? Let's start there. Speaking of the new songs, uh, Monica um, played, I think she played the whole song. It wasn't even a snippet. It's called Trenches featuring Little Baby. And though I could do without Little Baby's verse on the record, it is a good song. The beat was dope. So I'm hoping that Monica hurries up and puts this song out this Friday, especially because she just teased it, because it is a good song. It sounds current with the times, and it still sounds like something Monica would do. So I'm pretty excited. She played a couple of different songs from the new album, and they were sounding good. I haven't listened to a Monica album, I think since the early 2000s. I've heard a couple of songs off of her 2010 album because my mom loves it, but I haven't listened to Monica consistently in a long time. But based off of the snippets she played on the versus battle, I may have to tune in and listen to chapter 38 because it's sounding good. So before the show ends, you know I have to do the song of the week and the song of the week is gifted by Corday and Roddy Rich. This is a new song that also dropped last Friday and I've had it on repeat ever since, so it's only right that it's the song of the week. I wasn't sure how a Corday and Roddy Rich collab would sound since they're very different musically, but they really work well together. I was pleasantly surprised. The hook is very addicting and one of my favorite parts of the whole song. Roddy and Corday play back and forth well together and that's what I love about rap sometimes that we don't hear that a whole lot these days where rappers are just playing off of each other um mostly because a lot of songs these days even outside of rap when you have a featured artist on a record or you have more than one artist nine times out of ten they're not in the room together they're just emailing their verses back and forth but um Corday is more of an old soul and so he does things the traditional way so when he's recording with artists he's usually in the studio with them and um, I think that's why this song came together so well because first off, Corday and Roddy are friends and they were also in the studio together. So it's easier to really play off of energy and chemistry when you're in the same room because Corday may have some advice for Roddy on a certain part of the song that he may like and vice versa. So I think that plays a part into why this song is so good and so addicting. Um, like, I don't know if I said this, but the, the hook is very, oh yeah, I did say that part. Um, but I do want to say that Corday is one of my favorite newer rappers because whenever he spits, it just sounds effortless. And I love that about him. I also really love his content and the themes he raps about in his music. He's literally only a year older than me. So a lot of the stuff that he's talking about, I can really, really relate to. It's very rare these days when artists are anywhere near my age. So um, that's probably another reason why I connected with The Lost Boy so much. Oh, I also wanted to add, this is what I meant when I was talking about artists being in the studio together and um, when rappers just play off of each other. Corday had a song like that off of The Lost Boy with um, Anderson Pack. It's called RNP. It's produced by J. Cole. I had to plug that in there. Um, they had a really good chemistry on that track too, and it was a traditional rap record of two artists playing off of each other and that's what made it one of the standouts on the lost boy and it's no different than gifted i um i think corday is really refreshing to hear in an era of mumble rap and the melodic shit though the melodic shit does actually work here funny enough if you haven't heard this song yet give it a listen it also has a music video so if that's just easier for you to because that's sometimes that's the case for me where 
a, a song by an artist that I don't really listen to drops and it has a music video, I'll listen to the music video and if I like the song enough, I'll go and save it. So Gifted does have a music video, so you should check it out and if you like the song, definitely save it in your Spotify or Apple Music, buy the song if you still buy music and let me know what you think. So we're coming towards the end of the show. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Like I said, I put a lot into it. Um, it's a little bit longer than last week. I felt like I slacked a little bit last week, so I'm trying to make up for it. So I hope you guys enjoyed it. Um, if you want to keep up with this podcast further, you can follow me on all social media. You can follow me on Instagram, listen to me speak pod, P-O-D for podcast. You can follow me on Twitter, DJ Catastrophe. Catastrophe is spelled K-A-Y-T-A-S-T-R-O-P-H-E. You can also like my page on Facebook, which is just the Listen to Me Speak podcast. And if you really love what you hear every week and you want to support the podcast further, I am taking um, listener listener donations, so it'd be much appreciated. And if you really, really like this episode, then make sure you tune in next week for another brand new episode. And you know I can't end the episode without telling you guys to be kind to yourselves and to take care of yourselves. Remember, Black Lives Matter. And again, I want to pay my respects to Chadwick Boseman and his family because he's so important to the Black community and he will be greatly, greatly missed. I'm signing off. Thank you for listening to me speak.